Um, Lamar Jackson is, you know, he's a freak, freak athlete. Um, he's a great playmaker um, for a reason, but you know, he's, you know, he's, he's who we got to play this week. So we have a great game plan. You know, the coaches have done a great job, and you know, we got to do our best to contain him. Hey, this is Mike. I just want to say before it happens, so I'll either look like a fool or a sage, that I believe the Raiders are in the catbird seat tonight. I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels that way. They are playing a team that's decimated with injuries and on the road for them. So I'd like it. I like our odds tonight. Let's see what happens. Bye. Well, there's some teams that you play that, you know, you have to have great awareness where people are. And I think he's one of those guys. You know, like Kelsey, where is he? You know, Darren Waller, where is he on the field? And he's one of those guys. I think you have to have great awareness. There's a lot of trust built in him. There's a lot of plays that maybe other teams don't throw, but with him they'll challenge you and throw it because of how much trust they have with him. So he's a guy that we have to have really, really good awareness where he's at, both in you know in the run game and in the pass game. But you know he's such a threat in the pass game, and he's made a lot of big plays for him. Just being a little sarcastic and having a little fun here. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. <laughs> the Raiders are in the catbird seats. <laughs> what does that mean? I love it. I'm trying to think. I thought I didn't know which way he was going, but then I knew right away. But I don't know. I mean, I, I know guys who uh, do it for do it for a living. They're all over the Raiders tonight. Really? Yeah. They love the Raiders tonight. So and these are pros that know what they're doing. My So my two biggest concerns for this game for the Raiders. Number one on the offensive side of the ball. Also, fun fact, the Ravens did not allow more than 23 points in a game, 14 of their 16 regular season games last year. But my biggest concern is the Raiders' offensive line. Uh, they know. they blew it up. It like Granted, last year they had a lot of injuries, they had a lot of moving parts, but they blew it up, and they've already got one injury to the most experienced guy on that offensive line. John Simpson was not any good when he played last year. They've got a rookie at right tackle. Their right guard is Denzel Good, who should be fine, and their center is a guy who's made one career NFL start. At center, I I was going to say all through the offseason, like they're blowing it up, they're blowing it up, but Incognito's going to be the leader. It's like, no, Incognito's <laughs> not playing. Like, so, like, that's like not good. That's my biggest concern against a Ravens team that blitzed the most in the NFL last year and a Ravens team that was very good against the run last season as well. My biggest concern on defense is simply the basic of defense tackling. Can they tackle Lamar Jackson? Yeah. This is a team that was not, Corey Littleton was not a good tackler last year. Jonathan Abram was not a good tackler last year. Nate Hobbs is a rookie playing slot corner. Now they've got a rookie at free safety, right? Can the guys in this linebacking group and in this secondary tackle Lamar Jackson when he gets beyond five yards down the field? I'm not, I'm not expecting much from the offensive line, but I'm more really excited to watch defense good or bad. You know what I mean? Like for whatever reason, for all the reasons you said, I'll show I just don't think the offensive line is going to play well. Now, maybe they might surprise us and do it, but I'm far more interested in, okay, how much better are they defensively? And I know it's only one game, and I get that, and you improve as game to game. But if they come out tonight, and Lamar Jackson's just running all over them, and Baltimore with this depleted lineup is scoring at will, that's going to be really disappointing. Right. It's not going to be disappointing if the offensive line is bad because I don't know if anyone <laughs> thinks they're going to be good. You know what I mean? Yes. You're not going to be like disappointed in the offensive line. You're like, okay, well, they have like all these less starts, and there's all these new guys. It's going to be really disappointing if they can't stop these guys. Yeah, especially because you look at the Ravens, and right now the wide receivers are pretty beat up. Yeah, the running backs are beat up. It is Lamar Jackson 
Mark Andrews, the tight end, and then Sammy Watkins. And a bunch of guys. Like, it's, it's who, like, the Raiders' secondary shouldn't really be getting burnt because the wide receivers are really good, right? Like, that should not happen. This right. is not a case where, This oh isn't God, Kansas City. Right. We've got to defend Tyreek Hill right. and Travis Kelsey. Right. Like, that's not what's happening here. It's Sammy Watkins, and Mark Andrews is a good tight end, but it's Sammy Watkins and Mark Andrews is what you're dealing with tonight. So, the, but the problem is, is the Ravens have been really, really good at scheming around Lamar Jackson, at making Lamar Jackson as a dual threat quarterback, making that as hard as possible to defend. And they still have Lamar Jackson. And I don't trust that the Raiders can tackle this year. They didn't show they could do it last year. Yeah, KJ Wright's here. Yes, Yannick Ngakwe is here. Trayvon Merrick is a uh, rookie free safety. So there's new guys, but I still don't have that much faith that they can tackle one of the hardest guys to tackle in the league in Lamar Jackson. So... That, to me, is my two big concerns. The offensive line and just can yeah. they tackle Lamar Jackson throughout the course of this game? And I don't think either one of those are actually going to go that well for the Ravens. Like, I think the Ravens win this game. Really? I think, yeah, you score for 29-23. I picked on the podcast 23-18 Raiders. It was a low-scoring game. Man, if they hold the Ravens to 18 points, yeah. it's a hell of a day for them. Oh, it's a great, like I said, I mean, if they hold them to 18, I won't be disappointed in the defense because it's going to, it's going to go one way or the other. Now, if they hold, if, if it's 30 for the Ravens, I'm going to be disappointed in the defense. Is Gus Bradley getting a raise? I've never, that? I don't know, but I've never, maybe because we've seen now since they got the Vegas got the team, how bad they were defensively. I've never been this interested in watching one side of the ball because there's so many new people and they're so positive about Gus Bradley and what Gus Bradley can do and all his guys. And if they go out there and it's the same thing, man, it's going to be like, you've got to be kidding me. Well, so here's the interesting part. Yannick Ngakwe is their big free agent of the offseason. The and, main one, yes. And Max Crosby is this sort of incumbent, hey, that's a good defensive end. Both of those players have graded out the last few years much better as pass rushers than they are as run run stoppers. Right. Like if you were creating a, if you were building a, if you said, hey, we know the other team's going to run the ball. Cleveland Furl's probably at the edge, not Yannick Ngakwe. And you might sure. even put Carl Nassib in over Max yeah. Crosby to defend the run. If you remember, The best example last year was New England. They ran at Max Crosby over and over and over because they did not think Max Crosby could make a play, and he didn't. He didn't. The entire game in that run game. So you're going up against the Ravens, who, granted, they're going to throw the ball, but it's a team that's a run-heavy offense. They're going to run the ball more than they throw the ball, and they're going to do it with their quarterback. So, like, the addition of Yannick Ngakwe probably doesn't help that much in this game. He's probably No, because not. if he gets if he gets to the edge and around the edge and Lamar Jackson steps up, he's gone. Right. So, like the big addition of Ngakwe, it's probably not as big of a deal in this game. Now, if the Raiders get ahead and the Ravens have to play catch up, then that changes the the script yes. and everything. But there's a chance that Yannick Ngakwe is somewhat of a non-factor in this game because of the team that they're playing, and now you're talking about okay, well where else did they improve on defense? Is KJ Wright a difference maker after joining the team ten days ago? Right? Is are the is the rookie Trayvon Merrick a uh, difference maker? Is Corey Littleton better? Is Jonathan Jonathan Abram, Abram tackle? And those are a lot of things that you say. Well, I don't really trust that Jonathan Abram got that much better. I don't really trust that uh, that uh, Trayvon Merrick is going to be that good as a rookie as a free safety that he's going to make a difference. KJ Wright's probably the one you're looking at saying maybe he makes the biggest difference tonight. For the Raiders, as far as hey, it's a new defense. Does that's the name at least? Is hey, he's playing linebacker and they're going to need somebody to make some tackles right. in this game. So, Jared, you have score got me up. Yep, we're going twenty six thirty two. All right. <laughs> For those of you that are unaware, <laughs> this is score got me. We make score predictions 
uh, Jared does not pick a winner. He just simply picks the scoregami, and if you don't know what scoregami is, that is a score that has never happened in an NFL game. What you what would you say? What'd you just say? Twenty six thirty two. So no final score. No NFL game has ever finished with the final score twenty six to thirty two or thirty two to twenty six. Okay, some of these don't surprise me. That sort of surprises me. Yes. Really, think about how to get to twenty six. I'm trying to think. Hey, you get twenty and a couple of field goals. You miss but you got to get you got to yeah, get two 20. field goals to get to twenty or miss an extra point. Yeah, missing, I, I have more missing an extra point. Yeah, and then to get to thirty-two on top, uh, you either have to get to thirty-two and twenty-six. You've either got some missed extra points, right. or this is like a twelve field goal right. game. Like both teams are like, <laughs> that yeah, would be awesome. We get to the Daniel 25. Carlson hit twelve <laughs> out of thirteen field goals because John Gruden would not go for it on fourth and one inside right. the red zone. This is every you, you quick three play drive to get to the yes. twenty five yard line. Then you stall out and you kick. This the field could goal. be John Gruden's night. This is like a perfect game for him. He gets inside the red zone. He never goes fourth down. And like Dan, Daniel Carson hits a career a career uh, number of field goals. Be awesome. Thirty two twenty six is Jared Scorigami. I said 29-23. 28. No, 23-18. With the Raiders winning 23-18. Yeah. I don't know be, why. I'm trusting. I'm trusting. Homer. No, I'm trusting guys who know a heck of a lot more than me who have played their side pretty big, who play a lot. It's, I don't know why. They're, have they played up like the Raiders defense being good? Or just no, the Raiders No, they're just covering. saying they think they're going to win the game. They think oh, they're going to win, win. Yeah, they think they're going to win outright. They think they're winning the game. Not, right. not, just, not just covering the four. They think they're winning the game. So bet even more on the Ravens. Well... <laughs> And if not, they're not going to be able to afford the Frappuccino in the morning, I don't think. So, yeah. I Some guys are heavy on it. I, I don't know. I mean, look, I don't bet. I don't know lines. I mean, they know a lot more than me. They win, they lose, whatever. But I was a little surprised at that. I was a little surprised uh, because I just didn't see the the line move. Had the line moved a lot, you're like, all right, maybe it's, you know, maybe they're telling you something, and it's the Raiders. Didn't move at all with all the injuries. So it's like, I think the Ravens, I mean, I think they the books are pretty sure this is going Ravens. Yeah, I mean, again, it, like we talked about last week, it goes back to the running backs. It's just not that important of a position, and you can conceivably plug in a rookie, plug in Latavius Murray, and it's not going to make that big of an impact on the Ravens' offense. They should still, it's all about Lamar Jackson. I, I think the wide receivers is probably a bigger issue, that their first-round pick is hurt and not going to play for the first three weeks of the season. I think that's a bigger issue than losing all of the running backs. Do I think we should re uh, re uh, mention uh, Josh Jacobs? We both think he plays. Yes, uh, illness. He got downgraded to questionable. Um, and I, I have not seen plays. today anything about a yeah. COVID list, so it's not that right. Unless we see something, absolutely, I think he right. ends up playing. Okay, but if he doesn't end up playing, we get to yell at Q. All right, <laughs> we can do that. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs, and we get into UNLV football. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. Bischoff's Briefs. We, we take a lot of pride in being very analytical here. Um, we use a lot of statistical data, tendencies. Bischoff's Briefs. Got a lot of respect for the percentages of blitz on second and one to six, third and five to ten. Bischoff's Briefs. We take analytics as far as we can, but at the end of the day, there's still a lot of human error that I continually make. Bischoff's Briefs. I don't believe any of those statistics. I think it's all hot wire. 
UNLV lost Arizona State 37 to 10 on Saturday. They did, in fact, cover the spread. They actually took two different leads on Arizona State in the first half of that game. But the Rebels had just one first down in the entire second half. Doug Brumfield got hurt, was knocked out of the game, and UNLV's offense disappeared uh, when that happened. Actually, it started to disappear before Brumfield got knocked out. So a couple of things. First off, big picture on UNLV football and the eight games that we have seen with Marcus Arroyo. They had 14 yards in the second half, one first down on the last nine drives of the game for UNLV. This is after last year, UNLV averaged 17.3 points per game. Uh, For comparison, in the Tony Sanchez era, their low point was 24 points per game. Their high point was 31, and over the entire Sanchez era, they averaged 28 points per game. So last year, they scored 11 less points per game than the Tony Sanchez era. And then in this game, again, you're playing a top 25 team, but they only put up 10 points and did not move the ball at all in the second half. I would say one good thing about the Tony Sanchez era is that offensively, they were pretty good every year. I mean, the last year under Sanchez was the worst offensive team they had, but they were pretty good offensively. You knew they could run the ball effectively against pretty much anybody they played, anybody on their schedule, they would have a pretty good time of running it. Marcus Arroyo is supposed to be an offensive coach. Like he was the offensive coordinator at Oregon. He's supposed to be an offensive mind. And we have not seen that eight games in. There's been very little to get excited about with the offense. And then you even throw in Charles Williams, 13 carries in the game on Saturday, 35 yards in eight games under Arroyo. He has just two 100 yard rushing games. And one of those came against an FCS school. So he's one of seven having hundred yards against FBS schools. His last season under Tony Sanchez played all 12 games. He had six 100 yard games, his yards per carry 5.9 Charles Williams, 5.9 in the last year of Tony Sanchez. It's 4.5 under Marcus Arroyo. It's fallen by almost a yard and a half. The best player on the offense is less productive under Marcus Arroyo than he was under Tony Sanchez. How worried are you that offensively, They've been useless for eight games. Uh, I think they should be really worried. Um, look, and we're gonna, I know you're going to get into the quarterback here, but there's an issue here with, and not trying to make fun here, they can't block anybody. So I don't know. I mean, it will be different in terms of who the quarterback is, but I've seen two games this year, and I know one's an, I, I look, I know one's a top 25 program, but the other was an FCS team, and in neither week have they blocked anybody when the offense stalls. So that's your that's one of the main problems. They, they, their offensive line is just really, really bad right now. Um, yeah, I mean, this was, this was the headlines in bringing him in. Right. From Oregon, Justin Herbert, all the big, you know, the, you have all the Oregon guys, and, and, and I don't think anyone assumed, expected him to have Oregon athletes at least right away, so I get a lot of that. You watch Oregon and Ohio State, they've got nothing but athletes. I mean, it's amazing, but you can't be this bad offensively uh, when historically you haven't stopped anybody. I will say this before you get to the quarterbacks. I've covered this team or been around this team 13, 14 years, whatever it is. I would lose track of when I got here. I know this is going to sound crazy to people because they've given up 30 and 31. I, I'm trying to think what Eastern Washington scored. This is the best defensive team I've seen. Yeah. I, I, I'm telling you, Tyler, they're doing things defensively. And I feel bad for those kids. I mean, they finally got kids who run around, who can tackle people, who make plays on the ball. 
And it's crazy because they're giving up over an average of 30, but that's all on the offense. These kids have been gassed for two straight weeks in the second half because the offense goes three and out, three and out, three and out. So they have to go on, especially against a top 25 team. Eventually they're going to wilt down against those guys. This is the best defense I've seen since I've been around this town, and they're giving up 30 game, and that's because the guys on the other side can't do a thing. The problem is, is I don't know that the offense is ever going to be better. Like, I don't know that. I mean, gonna, no. The defense is going to get gassed every, yes, single, every game. single game. So, like, yeah, they look better. I don't know that it's going to matter at the end of the day because I don't know that the offense is ever going to actually stay on the field long enough. It's all relative. Thirty points. I'm not. I'm, yeah. compa- I'm comparing them to the past UNLV defense because right. people are saying, "Oh, they've given up 30. No, we're comparing them to this school. I'm not comparing them to any other school in the Mountain West or anyone beyond that. This school's been so terrible defensively for so long when you finally see kids making plays like they do you almost feel bad because they deserve better they had an interception and a fourth down stop in the first half and i think they forced back-to-back three and outs to start the second half like neither team could do anything for the first like three possessions of the second half then arizona state figured it out and took off and unlv still couldn't get a first down so yeah i mean the defense has been improved Marcus Arroyo is the offensive guy, though. Like, he came in right. as the offensive coordinator, not as the defensive guy. Right. Now, on the quarterbacks, Doug Brumfield gets hurt in this game. Possible concussion. He took a hit to the head. Right. Actually came back in, played another series before being taken out of the game and was out for good from that part. Justin Rogers came into the game, and Justin Rogers was dreadful. He mm-hmm. completed one of his five passes. They got to a point where they weren't even really trying to throw despite being down by 27 points late in that game. But Justin Rogers was the quarterback that came in. Tate Martell was dressed. Tate Martell was available to play. Do you think Tate Martell did not play in that game simply because he got a late start to joining the team? You know what's interesting about that? I don't know if that's the reason. Did you hear the sideline reporter say that she had talked to him before the game? Yeah, during warm-ups. And that he looked really good, but then he had said something like, he was still getting over the hand surgery. He mentioned the hand. He mentioned the hand surgery. We know he had hand surgery. So, Tyler, I don't know which one it was. I don't know if he's not 100%, and even he's saying he's not 100%, or he came and he hasn't practiced much and hasn't got, again, we go back to Arroyo and this whole data and how many snaps and the analytics, and I know how many snaps they've taken. It's hundreds and thousands and thousands of snaps. Maybe he isn't to that number that Arroyo feels comfortable, but I'll tell you what, nothing against the kid because I don't think they can block anybody. We've seen Justin Rogers. You have to now, in my mind, I don't care who you're playing, if Tate Martell can go, because I don't think Brumfield's coming back for Wild. I think that was a pretty bad hit. Then Tate Martell should be starting against Iowa State. If he's dressed and he's warming up yeah. and he's throwing during warm-ups, I would assume he can play. They said, Didn't Beth Moen say he was available? Yeah, he was. Then why isn't he playing? Justin Rogers has been atrocious. It's been really bad. His two appearances. Not good at like I can't think of a single like good play that Justin Rogers has made against Eastern Washington or Arizona State. It's it's been awful. The offense has been dreadful and he has not been any good. Doug Brumfield has given them a shot. They actually had a stretch where they scored on seven of eight drives between the two games with Doug Brumfield at quarterback. Which again, before I jump into Tate Martell, how did this guy start the first game of the season? How did Doug Brumfield not no win idea. the quarterback competition? Like, how was there a quarterback competition? Was it that fewer snaps on those few days Brumfield might have been hurt in the data situation that you'd start just Forget Rogers? about the, like, 10 days before the season started when Doug Brumfield was in a walking boot. How was this guy not named the starter in the spring? I mean, these, these are not even close to the same level of quarterback that we've seen through two games. It's not, it's not even close. No. Brumfield is so much better than Justin Rogers. So... 
how Arroyo didn't make that decision before week one still blows me away. Like what's happening at their practices? Is Justin Rogers an awesome practice player? Or is Doug Rumfield a terrible practice player? Well, yeah. Why didn't they make the decision? And look, you could have made the decision and announced it before he goes into the boot. And maybe at the beginning of the first game, you're like, hey, you know, he's in the boot. He's He, he didn't get enough snaps. Okay, he's a starter, but he can't start the first game. These guys, apparently, if we believe Royal, they didn't even know the starters, like, I don't know, the night before the first yeah. game. It's like, yeah. that it took you that long to realize that and Justin Rogers might be the greatest killer. That doesn't matter. We've seen in terms of how he plays in the field, and that's what's important here, how, who's going to give them the best chance to win. It's not him. No. So Tate Martell, again, if he's throwing the warm-ups and can do that, I can't believe he doesn't start Saturday. Oh, Tate Martell time. Let's Isn't go. Isn't it? I think it has. If, it if has Doug Brumfield can't play, which we're doubting he can, I can't imagine starting Justin Rogers after what we've seen the last two weeks. I would even say give the freshman Cameron Friel a shot over Justin Rogers after those first two games, because again, the offense has they haven't done anything. They didn't score against Arizona State. They put up six points on two field goals against Eastern Washington with Justin Rogers quarterback. He's had like 12 or 13 drives and they've scored six points on two field goals. And that's it. That can't be your quarterback. That cannot be your quarterback no. against Iowa state. So I would even say, I mean, it, that'd be a brutal spot. Hey, freshman Cameron Friel, well, go start against Iowa state. But like, it's also, Hey, no, you're 30 point dogs. Let them have a right. shot. I mean, you know, it's like, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to win anyway. I just, I think if Tate Martell is healthy, you go to Tate you Martell. You have to play him. Like you give him, you give that shot out there because that's your, that's your one shot. If without Doug Brumfield, that's really your one shot at having at being competitive in that game. Right. Honestly, is hey Tate Martell, look at that. He's finally proven why he was ranked so high as a right. recruit seven years later for his third team. But hey, he's finally proven. Like that's your one shot. Maybe maybe Tate Martell's awful, but no, nobody. Yeah, you have no We idea. don't know. We do know Justin Rogers has been off. We have seen him be awful for two weeks. It's just I am blown away at the quarterback position and the way that that's been handled and the way that they have made or not made their talent evaluations based on how Justin Rogers has played. Cause he hasn't been good at all. Not at all. So that's, it's, it's been I think it's state Martell time. And I think if Bromfield hadn't have been hurt, let me ask you this real quick, because you know, he made some plays in the first half. They weren't doing anything in the second half, but again, the defense was holding up its own end. Had it gone that way, or maybe Bromfield would have done one more drive and, you know, produced some points, but not gotten hurt. Would you have stayed with him? Like I would have. Cause we talked about that last week. Hey, if he's competent, they could yeah. still, we said last week, they could still lose by 20, but as long as he's not throwing picks, everyone doing crazy stuff, yeah. stay with somebody. Now, that's not, that's out of his hand now, is because I don't it's, think the kid's going to be healthy. Yeah, I would have stayed with him the whole game. Yeah, I wouldn't right. have gone to, I mean, unless. No, I'm talking and into the next week. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would Me have. too. Unless he, I mean, if he had thrown like three or four no, ridiculous exactly. interceptions. Yes, but then no. no. The, the offense was stalled out, and Brun, Brumfield wasn't exactly playing well. But, no, not in the second half for yeah, sure. But it wasn't like Brumfield was making crazy mistakes that right. was like, oh, wow, you just cost the team the game. They just couldn't move the ball at all, and they couldn't run the ball. I mean, Charles Williams had 13 carries for 35 yards. Like, they couldn't do anything. He's not on game. the field a lot of plays. Well, I'll tell you this. I don't know what the backup that is about. Javon Wilson looked better than him against okay. Arizona okay. State. He, Javon but, Wilson looked much better than Charles Williams did in that game. And also, Charles Williams is not as good as Lexington Thomas. Lexington Thomas was a much better running back than Charles Williams. Charles Williams is not as good as Lexington Thomas. He's He's been very productive in his career. He's got a lot of yards. I don't think it's that crazy that they split carries between Javon Williams and, and Charles Williams. Coming up next, Paul Gutierrez joins the show. 
tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Um, I honestly don't know. I know. I know. Like for pre for for the preseason or whatever, like seeing it and just just for like practice or whatever, it was crazy. You know, what I'm saying a lot of energy, a lot of a lot of juice and stuff like that. But um, you know, with COVID and how we got the vaccines, you got to be vaccinated to come in. I I don't know really what to expect with how many fans is going to be there, but I know with the fans, it's going to show up. It's, it's definitely going to be electric. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. What is Jared doing? We have a whole commercial break. Doesn't call Paul until he's already started the rejoin. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He's joining got us now. We got him. Joining us ESPN now. is Paul Gutierrez. Good morning, Paul. How are you? Hey, Paulette. Good. What's going on, guys? Got visions of uh, flaming fajitas dancing through my head. Yes, I saw you there last night. Great queso. Great queso. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. All right, Paul. So you're on the day the Raiders season kicks off against the Ravens. But that's not what we're going to talk to no, you about, about today that. because you have dropped too many good nuggets that we have not been able to fully dive <laughs> into. Um, starting with, you are a black belt. Why are you a black belt? Like, did you just decide one day, hey, <laughs> let's do that? Like, why? Why is Paul Gutierrez a black belt? I, yeah, I went to JCPenney one day. I saw a belt that was black. <laughs> and I first, no, I, I grew up with it. My, you know, I have vivid memories of being three years old watching my dad work out in uh, South Pasadena as a kid. And uh, my dad, to this day, still teaches. He has his own karate school, Gutierrez Martial Arts in Barstow, uh, which is about, what, two hours away, little plug there. But, you know, and he's still teaching. And I just grew up with it. My brother grew up with it. My mom grew up with it. And um, it's just something that's always been a part of our lives, um, as far as I can recall. So, yeah, I mean, I've been doing it since I was seven years old, maybe. What and is the... um, it's, it's, you know, it's part of, like I said, it's just part of my blood. And, and you know, when I'm back up north in the off season, I'm, uh, you know, I'm actually teaching some of my, my kids' friends in the garage there as well. So I'm not as active, per se, as I was before. But, you know, once you get your black belt, really, that's not where the journey uh, ends. That's actually where it kind of starts. Okay, so what's, like, the impressive, weird thing? you Like, can you punch a cement block in half? Like, what's the weird <laughs> thing you can do? Um, I'll quote Bruce Lee when <laughs> saying, uh, cement blocks don't punch back. <laughs> <laughs> could you right now, if we put an apple on Ed Graney's head, could you kick it <laughs> clean off his head? Come on. You know, if you gave me if you gave me a trampoline and let me jump up and do it, yes, absolutely. <laughs> that doesn't sound good for me. Well, uh, I, I put you on the line, not my face. Yeah, that doesn't sound good for me. Um I want to get to this also. Uh you were a student. This is well, why talk about the Raiders? We'll see yeah, you tomorrow whatever. about that. You were a student of our good friend Steve Carp out at uh, yeah. UNLV. Tell us, uh, bring us back to history on that and how Stephen was as a professor and uh, what you now bring from those days as a writer for ESPN. You know, what's funny is, is when I talk to people about it and people kind of like look at me sideways, and I, I don't know why that is, but Steve was, was one of my favorite, if not the best, um, hands-on instructor I had at UNLV. Mary House was also there in terms of being a mentor and, and uh, a shoulder to, to kind of lean on and talk to, but... With Steve, it was it was pure sports journalism. One one course, one semester was sports journalism. The other course for the next semester was sports feature writing. And it was there was I think there was a cap of like twelve students in there. So there's a lot of hands-on training. And and at the time, remember, Steve was all over the UNLV beat. So this mm -hmm. is when J.R. Riders in school. So there's like it's like a real world live lab where we're able to go and do things. And we you know we had to write on deadline. We had to cover the NCAA tournament off TV on a Monday night when when Michigan and 
Chris Weber called timeout and they didn't have any, so we're covering that at home. And then we had to write hand write out our stories and turn them in the next day. So there was a lot of real world type experiences that that we got to experience with Steve. And and the one thing that I uh, that just really sticks with me is how to close a story. A story, he said. Imagine you're outside raking up leaves and you put them all in a bag and you're going to throw them over your shoulder and you're going to walk away. That's the end of your story. What happens if you don't tie up that bag? The leaves are going to scatter and fall everywhere after you throw them over your shoulder. So every time I write a story and, and I got to find a good kicker or I got to tie it up good at the end, whether it's a quote or my own little you know saying, I always go back to Steve reminding me to tie up the bag with all the leaves in it. When's the last time Steve Carp was raking leaves? <laughs> well, when's the last time any of us were desert, you know, <laughs> raking? Am I turn on the blower? I wasn't, I wasn't raking a lot of leaves either, but it made sense. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I got So the first like experience I had with Steve Carp when I moved out here was at a UNLV basketball practice. He was filling in for whoever the beat writer was at the RJ at the time, and they were about to play Air Force, and he asked, "Good luck, Okanobo." Hey, these guys are willing to die for your country. How do you match that level of dedication? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the most bizarre thing I think for me with Steve was, you know, he was a mentor. He 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 wrote me a letter or two of recommendation for uh, for scholarships and and opportunities like that. But then when I so I left and I went to Sports Illustrated after I graduated, I was there three and a half years. I came back and I worked at the RJ. And Steve was still at the Sun, and guess who my competition was? My former mentor. <laughs> oh man! And that that was odd. That was awkward. We're both trying to break news on Sean Marion being uh, with the Rebels at the time. So, good times, uh, warm memories, and and uh, you know, it, it it was a lot of fun. It's Paul Goodyear's with us from ESPN here on the press box. Okay, let's get to the new book. If these walls could talk, Raiders stories of the Raiders sideline locker room and press box. You wrote this with uh, Raiders great Lincoln Kennedy. Uh, where did the idea come from? Was it from you, from Lincoln? And take us through the kind of uh, maturation and, and development of this book. Yeah, you know, I'd written a, a book for Triumph Publishing um, back in 2014 called "Think 100 Things Raider Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die," and it was basically a hundred kind of little for lack of a better term, 100 Wikipedia entries into the history of the team. And, and I had free reign to do that however I wanted. Well, the publisher then went on to this next phase called If These Walls Could Talk. And what they usually did was they, they teamed a writer who covered a team with either a broadcaster or a former player. And they had, you know, I had told them, look, we need to either update uh, 100 things because the team's moving to Las Vegas and we got a new audience there, or we need to do something new. They suggested this, and, and when it was like, well – a former player or a broadcaster. I mean, Lincoln's both. And right. he ties that that bridge between the Oakland Raiders and now the Las Vegas Raiders. I went to UNLV. I'm from Southern California. I was covering L.A. Raider games when I was in junior college. So it all just kind of made sense. So, And, and I had you know, known Lincoln for a few years anyways, just being on the beat. So I approached him, and, and he was good to go. So the book in and of itself is is – 90% of it is written in Lincoln's words. Um, but I also have a chapter just kind of describing my my uh, my journey as well. Uh, it, martial arts are, are described. I don't know if I got Steve Karp's name in there, but, but, you know, things like that are in there. And from Lincoln's perspective, it's cool because he gets to tell his own personal story, but he also gets to take the reader behind the scenes as to, you know, what was going on in the locker room uh, on certain games, what happened in the huddle during the, the tuck rule game. What happened on the sidelines during the Super Bowl when, 
when the Raiders were rolling, and, and in his words, and quoting him, he said there was only one person on the planet that could have beaten the Raiders in the Super Bowl, and it was that blankety-blank guy over there on the other sideline who knew us better than we knew ourselves, John Gruden, of course, with the Buccaneers at the time. So there's a lot of cool things like that in there. We got Tim Brown to do the forward. Uh, he talks about how, when in his mind, Lincoln became a true Raider when Lincoln went up in the stands and socked up a couple brothers because they hit him with a snowball in Denver <laughs> on, a, on a night game. So there's a lot of cool things like that in there, and it was fun because you know Lincoln and I are we graduated high school at the same time. You know he went to San Diego Morse High School, and he graduated '88. I graduated from Barstow in '88, and you know I played high school football, but I, I look back, my my God, I'm glad we didn't play Morse High School because you know I was six five eleven, one sixty five, and he was as big as a house then. Uh, and it would have been fun to, to face him, but it was good to be a teammate on a project like this. Now, I will tell you, and I hope you're okay with this, I'm getting mine on Kindle, and the paperback is out also on Amazon. Now, the reason is, on Kindle, I earned 70 points. Oh, boy. On paperback, oh boy. on Prime, I earned 36. And you know, as a fan of the Marriott, I'm taking as many points as I can get. Oh, Jesus. Absolutely. And, yeah. and uh, I thank you for your support. <laughs> How did we turn Paul's book into your Marriott points? What the hell are we doing? Here? We can ask Paul. We can turn everything into Marriott points. Well, you know what you can't turn though is if you get recommended the veal and you get a burger. That's right. You know, I can't recommend that. <laughs> what? Uh, okay. What were you surprised to learn from Lincoln Kennedy when writing this book? I think it was just how much he really hated playing for the Atlanta Falcons because he was a high drafter. <laughs> he thought he, he thought he was going to go top three, I believe, to the uh, Arizona Cardinals, and then he, he ended up going early early teens to, to the Falcons, and and you know just describing what that atmosphere was like, and and for a lot of guys that get drafted early, they're going to bad teams anyway, obviously, right, because they're drafting so high. Well, at, at Washington, he's winning national championships. He's winning Rose Bowls. I think he lost a grand total of three games his last three years there. He lost three games in his first five in the NFL, so he didn't know how to handle it. And then and there's Deion Sanders, and, and there's you know these guys all over the place. They're just running the thing, and, and it, it surprised me that it surprised him that the NFL at that point, at least in that locker room, was more about getting things rather than winning things because he was all about winning at that point. So forcing a trade to the Raiders. Uh, he was kind of worried about the Raiders, too, because they were still kind of uh, – one foot was still in L.A., the other foot was in Oakland. You know, does this team uh, really you know, have a focus on winning? And it took a while for them to get going, but once they did, yeah, they were the Raiders for like a three- or four-year stretch. There. They were one of – if not, you know, they didn't win a Super Bowl, obviously, but they were in AFC title games and in the playoffs and everything. So yeah. that was that was pretty cool, too. If these walls could talk, Raiders stories from the Raiders sideline locker room and press box. All right, we can't let you go without a prediction. Who wins tonight? You know, I'm going to stick with what I got because of the, the Ravens having all those injuries at running back, and, and, and it is a different thing knowing that Lamar Jackson is the, the guy you got to stop and actually stopping him. But I'm going to go, I'm going to say the Raiders are going to eat this one out 26 24. All right. He's Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Paul, thank you. Thanks, Paul. Guys, thanks for having me. See you in a bit. Take care. Yeah. I right. want him to kick an apple off your head. Yeah, I don't know if I want him jumping off that trampoline, though. If he misses just a bit, I know he's a black belt, but the face is just crushed. I'm like Jared with the cat. I mean, it's just, it wouldn't be good. I also want to see him just walk into, like, the press box of the Raiders game and just punch a cement block in half and just keep that going. That would be awesome. Like it's nothing. I mean, it's kind of unfair to put him in the media fights that we made up because you did do that. Who else would be a black belt? You kind of, you kind of ruined that. I kind of ruined that by putting him in any kind of situation where he can kill someone. What you got to do is you got to have him versus a couple of media. Yes, two or three people, and they all rush at him. Yeah, yeah. Like Bruce Lee.
It's got to be one of those, okay, guys, we've been practicing this. <laughs> Everyone attack him at once. <laughs> exactly. Go. All right. We've got a $50 gift certificate for Smokin' Pig Barbecue. I actually went there once. It's really good. They have uh, chicken drumsticks wrapped in bacon. Ooh. They're called chicken lollipops. Delicious. One of the best things I've ever eaten in my life. <laughs> oh, oh, great. So we got 50 <laughs> bucks to go to Smoke and Pig Barbecue Company. We'll take caller number five right now at 702-364-1100. 702-364-1100. If you want to go out to Smoke and Pig Barbecue Company, we got $50 for you right now. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Scherzer, three balls, two strikes. Hosmer, the hitter. Here's the pitch. Swung on and missed strike three. 3,000 strikeouts for Max Scherzer, becoming the 19th pitcher in Major League history to enter that very exclusive club. A standing ovation inside Dodger Stadium. Max Scherzer into the history books. You're locked in the press box. Congratulations to Mark. He won 50 bucks to go out to Smokin' Pig Barbecue Company. I do want to read to you, Ed, a text message I received this morning from Justin Emerson. He's asking if that barbecue place has any pumpkin stuff. He said, I had a dream. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, God. I asked a stupid question in a press conference, and you texted me right after to come on the show. <laughs> but wasn't that what happened? <laughs> that, that was real life, yes. That's happened in real life, and now he's dreaming about it, too. He's wow. having nightmares about me asking him to come on the show after oh, he asked a dumb man. question. Oh. Boy, they, lo- they love pumpkin at that house. A little too much. A little too scary, the Emerson. Elaine tweeted the other day they were making dinner and they are adding pumpkin to something. I'm like, man, you had a pumpkin to everything. They love pumpkin it's at the uh, Emerson yet. house. Huh? It's still September. It's not even October yet. It's, a, it's still kind of summer. Yeah. It's like 100 degrees outside. It's hot yesterday. Yeah. All right. How do you feel about sweeping the Padres? Didn't even lose a yeah. game. I see, look at you. Just, You're not I even bothered know. by him anymore. Know. I'm more interested in your answer to this. Will they pay Scherzer? Do you think they'll pay him? <sighs> yes. It's the Dodgers. I mean, Even on the, I, I don't know really basically the luxury tax coming up, but that's... I think they're going to free up some money pretty soon. Well, that's that's absolutely the best point. I think they have to... I think there'll be a settlement with Bauer. They won't give him everything yeah. they owe him. There'll and be some type of settlement. If you think... You're the one that thinks Kershaw's gone. I do think he's gone. So I if Kershaw's gone. gone too, yeah, I think you're I think you're paying okay. Max Scherzer. You're keeping right. him around. Okay. As long as he wants to stay, which... Right, right. He, I mean, I, when, before he even got traded, people were like, well, he might re-sign with Washington. Right. Well, he might go back to Washington. Exactly. So assuming he wants to stay, yeah, I think they do. Because okay. the Dodgers are not that anybody wants to pay the luxury tax, but the Dodgers right. are one of the few teams that you can see saying, yeah, we don't care too much about the luxury okay. tax. So right. We're going to spend some of Magic Johnson's money. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah, I think I think if you're the Dodgers, you do. Calmness in San Diego writing, they're done. I mean, they they're still I don't know in what the playoffs right now, right? They're, they're tied with the Reds, who, yeah. are, by the way, are going to look back and probably say, boy, they really missed it here, they given did? how the Padres folded. St. Louis is only one game back. That's the team. they got a lot of veterans. I don't think they'll fold uh, like it appears the Reds and the Padres are trying to do. Um, where's Philly? Uh, this is interesting. Two and a half, I think. Okay. They're still kind of – there's only like 20 games left. Philly yeah, and the, the Mets Philly's, are both Philly's two and a half. Two and a half, yeah. Okay. Philly but I think the Cardinals yeah. might be. So, okay. We know you are horrified of playing the Dodgers 
the Padres in a I one-game mean, yeah, playoff. Yeah, the Dodgers yes, playing yes, the Padres. Yes. Just, but that's just because it's the Padres. Yes, absolutely. And you can't stand losing to them. Right. Set that aside for a minute. Which of the teams do you actually not want? The, which one do you think could actually beat the Dodgers? Cardinals could. They just you beat them, the Cardinals they just beat them the two likely. out of four times. Okay. So you think that's the most likely? Yeah, if I want to play a team, it's the Reds. Okay. You want to play the Reds? If Scherzer's set up for it, yeah. Look, you'd think by the last three games, they're going to know one way or the other. And if he's scheduled a pitch, they'll scratch him and, and have him ready for the game, right? I mean... Yes, because, the worst case well, scenario is if they can win the division the right. last day, they pitch him, but the Giants or someone else wins, and yes. then you're completely screwed. Hello, David Price. <laughs> How are the dot the Dodgers are two and a half back again? Yeah. They they the Giants don't lose. <laughs> they do not lose. Thanks for the Rockies and Cubs. Way to step up. <laughs> so if you look across baseball right now, last ten games. The Blue Jays are on fire. They're yes, in a they playoff can, yeah, spot. They're another team. They're nine and one. Outside of that, in the American League, the only team that has won at least seven of their last ten games is the Blue Jays. Everybody else has won six of their last ten or less. Or worse. In the National League, the Brewers have won seven of their last ten, but the only team that's above six wins in their last ten are the Giants. They're nine and one. Yes. They don't lose. <laughs> they're I just hate to admit it. I was telling you about our conversation at dinner last night. Who's the MVP? Who's the Cy Young? We're doing all these awards. None went to the Giants, and they've been the best team. And maybe that's why. I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. I know one award they have. They have that. They have Manager of the Year. Because if that guy doesn't win it after beating that team in the division, then I don't know who's your Manager of the Year. Don't give me Milwaukee. How are they good? I don't know. That's the question. <laughs> How are the Giants good? No one can answer this question for me. Like. Who, who, they're do, not fun to watch. I no, know that. they're not fun to watch. I don't think they have any good players, <laughs> and they have 93 or four wins. Their best hitter by OPS plus is a guy named Darren Ruff. <laughs> Stop. I, Stop it. His name's Darren Ruff. Stop it. I don't know who that is. That's their best hitter by, by OPS this year. Like, listen, Buster Posey's old, but like Buster Posey's good. But like Evan Longoria's back. Who like, do you want right now? Buster Posey or Will Smith? I'll take Will Smith. He's not. Yes. 